0: Alright, so uh, there's this funny thing that happens when you get married is where you start sleeping in the same bed as another person, right? And, and at first it's, it's like pretty awkward because most people haven't spent their whole lives sharing a bed with someone else, right? And for me, it probably took me a week to adjust um, Jess, I think my wife Jessica, she's probably still adjusting because I, I think I just roll in circles the whole night And so it's just terrible for her um, And so um, I've gotten to the point though So when we first got married, I'd have to do, I'd have to have my back to her Because it just felt like, I don't know, I just face to face felt way too awkward, right? <laughs> like and so I, I'd have to do back-to-back, but now I've, I've been married almost four years, and face-to-face doesn't even phase me anymore, right? And so I'll just do face-to-face, no problem, but the problem with that is sometimes weird things happen when you're face-to-face, and, and here's one of those things, and one night I'm sleeping face-to-face, and I'm, so I'm facing Jessica, my wife, who's dead asleep already, and uh, and I'm just right at that point, you know, like right at that point where you're just about to fall asleep all the way, and if someone wakes you up, you're probably not going to sleep the whole night. So I was right at that point, right? And all of a sudden, Jessica says, I like hiking. <laughs> and I'm like, Wait, what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> what happened? Why, why are you saying this? And she's just like asleep. <laughs> dead asleep, not really responding at this point, and then I have a hard time falling asleep. And what's, what's creepy is my wife does this all the time. And I think, now, now I think I have to revert back to back to, back, back to face, because whenever I'm face to face, it's, that seems when it happens. And the other night, too, she just like, this, I swear, lay down. Ha! Ah, like, I, like I, so like the rest of the night, I'm like, I'm about to be murdered. Like, like, So anyway, and, and so she'll say these random statements and all these things. I got permission to tell these stories. But she'll say these, these these statements and all these things. And I'm always, like, I never, like, right away, I'm never like, oh, yeah, she does this creepy thing. I'm always like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what, are you, what do you mean? And, and, and today, like, Jesus tells these stories called parables. And it seems like everybody always reacts like, what are you talking about, Jesus. What do you mean? And so if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We go through books of the Bible here. We're in the book of Mark. Raise your hand high. It's not weird. It's just awkward. Um, Just raise your hand. We're just going to hand you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep it. If you do own a Bible, you just put it on the side when you come out. And so here at Redemption, we usually go through books of the Bible. Um, and we feel like this just helps us uh, preach all of the ideas in Scripture better than us just kind of saying the same ideas we like over and over again. And so right now, we've been going through this series in the book of Mark. And recently, some of the pastors at Redemption, they decided to restructure Mark and, and, and make it so that we could finish the book of Mark before Christmas so that in January we can just start a new book of the Bible and kind of get going with the new year and a new book. And so as I saw this, I knew I was preaching today. And as they were deciding to do this, I was like, please don't restructure it because I knew that this was going to happen. And then they did restructure it. And what happened was I have to to preach 34 verses today. (laughs) And, of course, Vince is gone. And so, no, we do not... (laughs) clap for that <laughs> okay it's sin and so <laughs> I'm just kidding but I have to preach 34 verses today because th- th- like all the rest that the ways that they combine the passage and stuff it actually makes a lot of sense but one they're like well let's just combine all the parables they don't matter like I don't know what they're thinking and so today I'm going to be preaching 34 verses I'm going to try and preach 34 verses we'll see how it goes it's going to be four parables um like, like this passage is so long that Vince has done one of the parables as a sermon, and I've done one of the parables as a sermon. Like, it's already been two sermons before, just half of this passage. So, a little recap um, before we get into it is, uh, in Mark, Jesus has started his ministry, and lately, he's been ramping things up, right? He's been, he's been claiming to be God, like, in, in so many ways, he's been, he's been forgiving sins. He's been saying that, basically, he's the bridegroom uh, of the church. He, and then he started healing people on the Sabbath, which was a no-no back then. I don't know why, but they was just like, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. And Jesus was like, watch me. And so he's healing people. He's, he's not fasting when he's supposed to. And the reg- religious leaders have already, at this point, gone together and said, let's plan to destroy this guy. He's healing too many people or whatever. I don't know. They're jerks. And so does Jesus stop ramping it up? No. Now he starts casting out demons. And then he straight up says like, well, uh, some of you Pharisees might be committing blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which was pretty intense, as we learned about last week. And so Jesus doesn't even back down from his family. And he's like, you guys need to chill out. And, uh, and I think they do eventually. But And so so Jesus is really... He's getting very intense, and that's kind of the landscape uh, that we're in as Mark 4 happens. So turn to Mark 4 if you have a Bible. All right, and we'll start right in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, and we're going to pause there. And so Jesus, he is gaining in popularity. People are, crowds are following him. They're, they're seeing all these miraculous things that he's doing, and they, they love it. And so they're, they're crowding him. And so one day, as he was teaching near the sea, a, a crowd got so close that He's like, man, I can't really teach this way. And so he, he gets in a boat, and it's pretty sweet. You're like, man, Jesus, you're pretty s- smart, because what I bet he made was like an instant amphitheater, right? Like if they're sitting up on the shore, he's like instant amphitheater right there. And so he's sitting in a boat preaching, and he's going to preach in something called parables, which are stories, which are really just illustrations, right? there. So Jesus is not saying things that actually are happening. He's saying an illustration, to show a different point that he is trying to make. And so we're going to see a bunch of those today. Verse 3. Listen. This is Jesus talking. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so Jesus is sitting in this boat, crowds of people, and he's telling these stories. And I can only imagine what that was like. Now... We know about the parables, most of us. They've been used for the past 2,000 years in all sorts of ways. So we, we, we're not confused by them. But take a minute to think what it would be like if you see a big crowd of people. Whenever I see a big crowd of people, I'm like, what's going on over here? And like, I try to go check it out. And you see this big crowd of people, and you're kind of checking it out. And you see this hairy dude in a boat, and he's just telling these stories about farming. And you're like, what is he? Is this like a farmer's convention? Like, what? What's happening? And, and the friend's like, shh, be quiet. And you're like, why? I don't know what's going on. And, and I would be very confused. I would be very confused about what was going on here and what he was speaking about. And luckily for us, in the, in the next verse, we see that other people were confused too. Verse 10 And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. So we're lucky because. Because people were confused about them, those his his own disciples who are with him are there. His uh, just some other followers that kind of stuck around. I don't know if Jesus like camped out for the night or whatever it was. They they stuck around, and then, and then when the crowd, all the big crowds left, they're like, "Hey Jesus, wh- what what you like hiking? Like what what's going on here? What are you saying, Jesus? What do you mean?" And so Jesus is gonna. And what's funny is classically in parables, we kind of have been taught that there's these like cute little stories that teach us how to be good Christians, right? And and a little bit of that is there, but then we're going to see in the next two verses that, that Jesus tells us what the purpose of parables is. And so verse 11, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And so we see that Jesus gives two reasons for the parables. Two reasons for the parables. And and the first reason is it reveals the secrets of the kingdom of God. To those people, he says, the ones that are out there camping with Jesus, asking him these questions, he says, it has been given to you the secrets of the kingdom of God. And then he goes to the outsiders, though. The parables veil the secrets of the kingdom of God. Not only do they veil, it sounds like, in a sense, their, their hearts are hardened by the parables of the kingdom of God. And so we see these parables affect two groups. The first group, Jesus, he, he says in verse 11 that, that you've been given the, the secrets of the kingdom of God. That, that, that it's been given to you. And I think this word given is important because he doesn't say, Hey, you guys figured it out. You guys know the Bible better than the, those other guys. You guys get it. No, he just says to them simply that you have been given. You have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. You didn't solve the mystery You've been given the secret to the mystery. So he doesn't even speak to if they can understand the parables. He just speaks to this idea that they've been given this secret. And I think the secret in, in a broad sense is, is this idea that Jesus keeps peddling, right? That, that he has brought the kingdom of God to earth. That he is making it so that the kingdom of God is happening. That it will reign, and then in a, in a more specific sense, and if you read the same story in Matthew, they kind of, they say secrets instead of secret. And you can kind of see that the parables kind of give specific ideas and specific implications about Jesus bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. What does, what does that mean for us? How can we live in certain ways because of that? I think we can all track with that. It's the second group, though. It's the way the parables ex- affect the second group that kind of makes us go, wait, what? <laughs> like, that's part of the purpose? And, he, and about the second group, he says, these, those outside, these people outside. And he says, they'll see the parables, but they won't perceive. They'll hear it, but they won't understand unless they turn and be forgiven. And Jesus is, is quoting Isaiah 6 here. And Isaiah, Isaiah is the story of this prophet and went out to the people of God and said all sorts of things. But at the beginning, in Isaiah 6, God says, Go out and tell the people that their hearts are going to be hardened, that their ears are going to be made dull because they are, are sinning, that, that, that they aren't accepting me as their God. And so when you see that Jesus is quoting that here, you're like, man, this is kind of confusing. And some of you might be going, Anthony, that's not what he's saying. But later, Jesus again, in John, in John chapter 12, we see Jesus quote this verse again. But this time he just straight up says, he being God, God will blind you. He will harden your hearts. That's intense, right? Like, and and I, I have such a hard time with this because we, we like fluffy riding a unicorn Jesus, right? We don't like Jesus is super serious about his ways, Jesus, right? It was super serious about who he is, super serious about giving glory to God, Jesus. And so as Jesus is speaking the parables, he, he's fulfilling this prophecy from Isaiah made to the people of Israel. And so the parables show that some are given the mystery of the kingdom, but some hear the parables and they're just unable to see the mystery of the kingdom. This is, this is a really difficult tension for me. This is a really difficult tension for me. Because somehow it's saying that we have this God who's in complete control, or the more, the more biblical word is sovereign, who's in complete control, who is sovereign, and yet we are held responsible for our rebellion towards God. This is a tension for me because I wish it was just one way or the other. God has complete control, and I'm not responsible for my sins. Or I am responsible for my sins, but I am also in control of my salvation, and I can choose to, to turn to God, choose to understand the parables. And yet, as I. And yet, this tension is there that some are given the secret, and some are not. And, I, and I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I spent. <laughs> A significant amount of time just studying this text, looking at what others have taught about this text, because I want to be faithful to what the Bible is speaking. But I'm, I was looking to how to take out God's sovereignty out of the picture, right? I was looking to just take, just put in our responsibility. Because I could see that. I could see that we are responsible for our sins. That makes sense to me. But I was trying to take God's control of our hearts out of the picture. And I just, as I look deeper and deeper into this text, I just couldn't resolve that tension. I couldn't resolve the tension that somehow God is sovereign when it comes to our hearts and who received the secret, as well as that we are responsible for not being able to receive the secret. And I feel like in the next few verses, Jesus makes it clearer. Verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the, all the parables? I think that's interesting because Jesus is saying this parable, this first parable that I was teaching you, it's going to help you understand the rest of the parables and the purpose of parables. Because as he was answering this question to, to his disciples and others. Verse 14. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and a hundredfold. And so Jesus, he says, man, people, all, everybody is going to hear the word. It sounds like it, all sorts of people are going to hear the word. The gospel They're going to hear the good news that Jesus is king, that he's done everything to save us. But people are going to react to that in all different kinds of ways. And then he's going to say, but yet there are some hearts who are good soil. Some hearts are good soil, and they're going to accept the word. And, and from them, more of the word will grow in a sense. Now, this, I believe that God causes our hearts to be good soil, and this is why this is, this is such a difficult tension for me. Because part of me wants to say, God, why aren't you making everybody's hearts good soil? Why aren't you doing that, God? Why aren't you doing that? And then, and then I go, why is my heart good soil? Why do, I don't deserve my heart to be good soil. But if I believed the opposite, if I believed if there was some kind of way that I figured things out, if I believe that there was some kind of way that if I interpret the parables correctly, then I would be saved. Then my heart would be good soil. Well, that's really that. I'm just believing that my work saved me. Even if it's just that one little work. that, that I'm believing that so there's some kind of mental gymnastics I could do in order to be saved. And the rest of Scripture says, no, no, you, you can't save yourself. Your works can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. And so that that tension is here. Some people hear the gospel at length, and yet their hearts aren't good soil, so they don't accept it, and they don't follow Jesus. Some people hear the gospel, and their hearts are good soil, and they do follow it, and they do love Jesus, and the, and the riches of the world don't ever deceive them. What God is doing in our hearts as well as the fact that we are responsible for our sin and we're responsible for our uh, rebellion towards God is something we're never going to fully get. It's something we're never going to understand. How can those things not be contradictions? It's a tension. It's maybe even a paradox, but they're not contradictions. And, and we, we just can't understand it. And even in my own story, I feel like I, I read the, this part of the passage and I go, that, that's what happened with me. Like, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. I, I heard the parables. I even probably knew what a lot of the parables meant. But I didn't love Jesus. I didn't, I didn't want to really follow Jesus. And then at a certain part in my life, it just seems like God came in miraculous, and I just realized that he loved me. That all of a sudden, I just realized, man, Jesus does love me. Jesus is real. Jesus really did do these things. And it wasn't because one day I was just reading the Bible and I figured it out. It was just because God came in and he did this miraculous work in my heart, which I think was formerly not very good soil, and he made it good soil somehow. God, God, God made my heart good soil. And I didn't deserve it. There was nothing I did. Through the rest of the parables, I think, I think we see this tension of God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Um, verse, verse 21, here's the next parable. And he said to them, is a, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to the light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm going to stop right there real quick. And so Jesus, so if Jesus just told me and, and, and all my homies, and he said, listen, the, the gospel is out, some hearts are changed, some are not, the parables harden other people's hearts. I would be like, okay, well, I'm glad my heart wasn't hardened, and I don't have to do anything ever again. Like, I don't have to tell people the word. I don't have to tell people about the gospel. I don't, you know, I'm just going to follow you and hope for the best in the end. But then, like, in the very next parable he tells... He says, is a lamp to be put under a basket or under a bed or not on a stand? And, and, and this parable means that, that Jesus is saying the gospel can't be hidden. What, what Jesus is doing can't be hidden. You can't put it in a basket. You can't put it under the bed. You can't hide the gospel. You have to go out. You have to share it. And this is, this is, we see this dance between our responsibility and God's sovereignty. And we see that God encourages us to go out and sh- proclaim the gospel. And so we see this tension over and over again. In verse uh, 24, and he said, And then pay attention to what you hear. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has more, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I think he's, he's kind of just reiterating what he said at the, as, at the end of the parable of the sower. He goes on uh, and tells this parable. He said, And the kingdom of God, and he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He's, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grape is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And so we see on the one side he said, okay, some hearts are good soil, some are not. But go out, share the gospel. More will be added unto you. Go out, don't hide this truth that Jesus is king. And then he comes back, and in the very next parable he goes, well, the king of God is like this man who planted all these seeds and and, and they grew, and, it, and really all the, plant, the farmer did was plant a seed. He didn't cause the plant to grow. He didn't make it so that it would sprout. He's saying that, that the earth did. And I think what he's saying there is God, even though we go out and we share the gospel and we plant the seed of the gospel in people's hearts, God does the growing. God does the thing in, in people's hearts for them to accept the gospel and love Jesus. The tension is is happening back and forth, back and forth. And the, the the next parable, someone at our church preached an amazing sermon on this once. Um, it was me. Uh, and in verse thirty, he says this, and he said, "With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth." Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And so he finishes off and he says, Man, the kingdom, uh, how can you even describe the kingdom of God? He's saying it it is difficult to to use illustrations to describe the kingdom of God, but it is like this small little thing that started like a little mustard seed and grew into this huge tree. And I, I... and I think he's saying here that, that, man, God does the growing, but he uses his people and he uses his kingdom to, to in a sense, move and work in it. And I don't know how that works. Or, or to plant the seed, or, but somehow God has this, this small thing which started with the disciples and with him and now has grown into this huge um, following of Jesus. Like a billion followers or something that's estimated. And so Jesus teaches in parables all the time. Some people gain from the parables, and and some, they they just don't. They don't gain at all. But here's what I like about the story. Is that these knuckleheads that were with him, right? These guys that were his disciples, his closest friends— they didn't get it, right? They come to Jesus and they go, Jesus, how, what? Like, what what's going on here? What, what's going on in these parables? And so understanding them wasn't what really mattered that much to Jesus, although it matters. And, and, but, but they did know one thing that was important. And, and it was the key to understanding all the parables. They understood that relationship with Jesus was what was going to get them to understand the parables. Right? They, they said, Man, I got to be with Jesus to get this, to understand this more. I've got to seek Jesus to understand this more. If I want this, the secrets of these parables, I need to be with Jesus. And, and really, Jesus is the secret of the kingdom of God. Right? That, that, that was what all these Pharisees and all these religious leaders, they weren't getting. They weren't getting that Jesus was truly the Messiah because they expected this guy to come that was going to be like a general. And they expected this guy that was going to lead a revolt and kick Rome out of Israel and just rule and reign. And yet Jesus came and he didn't do that. He came and he, he asked some fishermen and tax collectors and all different kinds of people to hang out with him. He came and prostitutes followed him and were part of his group. He came, and he didn't raise a sword to Rome. He came in and healed people, and he showed people what the kingdom of God was going to be like. And he showed us a much more serious issue, which was not Rome, but was the issue of sin in our hearts, the issue that we can't save ourselves. And so I, I don't think these parables are easy to understand. But what I love is that, that we can approach Jesus to understand them that Jesus is the key to understanding these parables. And this was, what's beautiful is Jesus made it so we can approach him. Jesus made it so we can approach him, right? First he just came to earth so that, that the people of that time in that place could approach Jesus and know God and see God and thus tell us what God looked like. And he, he, he went further and he lived perfectly so that we didn't have to. He showed us what it means to live a sinless life. And he showed us what it looks like to be perfect. But there's this, there's this thing where God just hates sin. God hates sin and he hates our sin. He hates what's not right and what's not good for us. And so Jesus went to the cross. He died for our sins. And as he's dying, he's taking on the penalty of our sins. He's taking on that penalty. And then he raised three days later to share in the resurrected life with us. He wanted to share that with us. And this is what's cool is I think that act on the cross made it so we can approach God now. I think before we're approaching God, it's a scary thing because we're sinful and God wants to destroy sin. But because of Jesus, now we can approach Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can approach God and say, God, help me to understand you more. God, help me to see you more. Help me to, to get you more. And so Jesus made it so we can approach him. So if you take anything away from today, yes, there's this tension, but take away the fact that we can all seek Jesus. That we can all look and approach Jesus and they say, Jesus, what do you mean? When I was, I was a youth pastor for a few years, and when I was a youth pastor, I felt like every sermon I was preaching was, kids, don't worry about being good, and so their parents didn't like me that I said that, but I would say, worry about seeking Jesus. I would say, you need to seek Jesus. You need to look for Jesus. You need to find Jesus. You need to seek him with all your heart, and because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can do that. We can seek Jesus, and we can see who he is, and God comes in and changes our hearts. I don't know how it all works. I don't know how all these huge tensions work. C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, he talks about how a lot of times we're trying to understand these big truths about God, and we just can't. Like, we just can't, and we get frustrated, and we say, so he must not be real. But he said, man, can the ant understand the human? And we're saying there is an ant can't really look at a human and go, man, why does a human do this? Why does a human do that? What, what, what are the human's motivations? What, what's going on in the human's heart? And how much more infinitely is it hard for us humans to understand an infinite God? And so sometimes there, there's going to be these truths in the Bible, and there's going to be these paradoxes or tensions in the Bible that, that we're not going to quite going to understand. But for me, that makes me think that God must be real. Because if he was invented by humans, every aspect of God would be really easy to understand because he he was this human invention. But because we are actually God's invention, it's hard to understand him. It's hard to understand all his ways. It's hard to understand how salvation always plays out. It's hard to understand how these things all work out. But we can rejoice because Jesus made a way for us to approach God. He made a way so that we can sit with him and say, God, tell me about yourself. And so this week, what I want to encourage you guys to do is go out and, and seek Jesus. And, and, and obviously, he's, he's not physically here anymore, but we, we, we have the blessing of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And so when, you're, when you have doubts, instead of Googling this doubt and then watching all these poorly made YouTube videos saying there is no God... Go out and say, God, I'm having this doubt. God, show me my doubt. Why? Well, show me what's wrong about my doubt, or show me, or relieve this doubt. Show me who you are. If you have even questions about your life, just general questions, say, God, how should I do this thing? How should I live this out? How should I do this? Be with Jesus. Spend some time. And that really just looks like getting alone and praying. It's, it's different for everybody. Some people like to go out in the woods. Some people like to go in a closet. Some people like to do all kinds of things. Seriously, that's real. And, and, I, and maybe, I, maybe I'm weird for thinking this, but I know that God will speak to you at some point. And I don't know if we'll always be listening, I don't know if we'll always have the ability to hear Him, but somehow you'll, God will be speaking and, in, in a lot of different ways. And it's usually not, it's, it's pretty much never an audible voice. But somehow, when we seek Jesus, I think Jesus comes and he speaks to us and he shows us the way. And so this week, let's go into our weeks and let's seek Jesus. Let's seek this huge God that, it, that, it, that is hard to understand. And, and, and let's get that. Even though some of this parable stuff is really tough and the purpose of the parables is, is kind of tough, even from Jesus' own words, let's realize, man, even these disciples that didn't get it, they were given the secret, just and they were just they just spent time with Jesus. And so let's even use our response time to spend some time with Jesus. Will you guys pray with me? God, I, I just I thank you for your word. God, honestly, I, I wish it was easier to understand. I wish you were easier to define. I wish the way you did things was easier uh, for me to understand and, and to get. But God, you are so infinite and you are so powerful that there is no way I could ever fully understand you. But God, thank you that you've made a way for me to at least understand parts of you, that you've made a way that I can have a relationship with you. And so, God, my prayer is that everybody in this church, our hearts would be good soil. God, I pray that you would cause our ears to hear. Cause our ears to hear God. Cause our hearts to be good soil. Cause us to be a people that lead others to you. And we see their hearts become good soil as well. And so God, we 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 need you to understand the parables. We need you. We need you to love to understand that we should love you and know you. And so God, move in all of our hearts today. And I just pray all of that here in my holy name. Amen. All right, and uh, right now we're going to move into a, a time of reflection. And so what we do here is we just spend a few minutes in silence as um, the music plays a little bit. And we uh, just pray and we talk to God and we, and, and we reflect on, on what we learned today in the text. And so spend some time doing that, and then I'll come back up in a couple minutes here, and, and we'll move into a, another time of response.